Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. There are so many poignant memories from my childhood of my mom reading aloud to us and so many books and stories which I associate with that time. But one that stands out to me that I will always associate with mom is The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. It is the edition with Lisbeth Borger's beautiful watercolor illustrations that I think of especially. We never owned a copy, but we checked it out many times from our local library. It was well-loved by us all. In the evening, my sister, younger brothers, and I cuddled close to mom on the couch as she read the story aloud to us. The introduction of the giant coming home to his castle after the visit to his friend the Cornish ogre never failed to make us laugh. He had been to visit his friend the Cornish ogre and had stayed with him for seven years. After the seven years were over, he had said all that he had to say, for his conversation was limited, and he determined to return to his own castle. Mom would read to us as we giggled at the thought of such a long conversation being called limited. As Mom continued the story, we would pour over Lisbeth Schwarzer's beautiful watercolor illustrations, mesmerized by the muted colors and the long lines of her artwork. Near the close of the book, Mom's voice would break, and we kids, all in a hush at that beautiful and sacred ending, would give her gentle pats of comfort as her tears fell, and the last words came out in a whisper. To this day, my mom cannot read the story without breaking at the end. I love the story because, although it is a brief fairy tale, it manages to capture the heart of the gospel in its pages, all while immersing children in a humorous and poignant story of human nature and the need for redemption. It is also a good reminder to adults that even amidst the selfishness that rages within our hearts, God still pursues and loves us. The Selfish Giant is part of a collection of fairy tales called The Happy Prince and Other Stories. Oscar Wilde was a late Victorian writer, well known for the novel The Picture of Dorian Gray and the play The Importance of Being Earnest. Revered for his wit, which is also in this short fairy tale, The Selfish Giant displays his ability to write touching and heartfelt stories as well. On the surface, the story is simple. A selfish giant won't share his garden with children, so Spring refuses to come to the garden but it carries an amount of depth in its simplicity. The selfish giant is set in a world where giants and ogres coexist with humans, where winter takes on human form in the characters of snow in a great white cloak, frost who paints trees with ice, and the north wind bundled in furs. The fairy tale begins with the giant away from his castle visiting a friend. While he is on his seven-year visit, his garden is claimed by the village children and made into their playground. When the giant comes home, he exiles the children from his property. To keep them out, he builds a large wall around his garden, with a warning that trespassers will be prosecuted. Because of his selfish act, spring does not come to his garden, and the snow and frost continue. While the north wind blows and the flowering peach trees remain dormant, the giant waits in vain for spring to arrive. And then one day, 
the children find a hole in the wall and bring spring back into the garden. One little boy touches the giant's heart and transforms him, and he opens the garden for the children to play, declaring it to be no longer his, but the children's garden from that day on. Through his fairy tale, Oscar Wilde allows us to see how devoid of joy and life the world of self is. By banishing the children from the garden, the giant has his wish to have his garden to himself. But it is a hollow victory. His vast estate, a castle, and once flourishing and beautiful garden are overrun by the icy presence of winter because of the giant's selfishness. So it was always winter there, and the north wind and the hail and the frost and the snow danced about through the trees. Snow, frost, and the north wind wreak havoc in the giant's garden. Here, it is always winter and never spring. Autumn declares the giant too selfish to bring fruit to his trees, and spring and summer follow suit. The giant's selfishness bars him from the wealth of beauty that appears in the changing of the seasons and from the possibility of new life in the flowering trees and singing birds. I thought of this as I watched the dogwood trees burst into blossoms of white and pink and the red buds with their sprays of delicate purple in their branches as I walked through my neighborhood in the early flowering of spring. I love winter, but to not see this beauty around me and to miss the changing of the leaves in the fall, I cannot imagine. I would miss the beauty that my heart craves after the sleep of winter. The giant misses it too, but not enough yet to change. The wall remains in place. The children are firmly warned to keep out. No sound of children's voices ring out through the trees in the giant's garden. And this too is tragedy. I am surrounded by the constant happy chatter of a toddler as I go about my day. Her mundane babbling is music to me, even in its repetitiveness. It is the joyful song of life. How sad to live in a world without bearing witness to this. I cannot be convinced that the giant's self-imposed imprisonment is good. It is a meaningless existence, tragic. It feels as if the giant is fairly begging to be freed from his own selfishness. His desire to have spring come again is palpable. It is a moment ripe for grace to enter his life. The giant's life would continue in this way if not for the hole in the wall which brings the children back into the garden and with them, spring. The garden erupts into beauty. The trespassing children bring grace to the miserly giant, and one child especially begins to soften the giant's heart and lead him to a moment of complete repentance. A small, helpless boy who cannot reach a tree as the other children have done. It is a beautiful moment in the story as the giant, who has done everything in his power to keep the children out of the garden, barricading in a prison of self, watches from his window and cheers the child on to climb up the tree. It is rife with tension, for we know that if that last child climbs the tree, the completion of spring will come to the garden. If we wanted to merit out justice to the giant, our tension would be placed on the other side, with the hope that the child would not succeed and leave us all satisfied in the judgment that by all rights the giant should be left to live out the rest of his days in the wintry hell of his own making. Thankfully, such decisions are not left to us, and instead we are able to watch a beautiful moment of grace and repentance. I never realized when I was young the importance of the child coming to the giant's garden. I'm sure like so many lessons and stories I heard in childhood, I took this action for granted as if it was done because the giant deserved redemption in some way. But as an adult, I'm struck by this profound moment of grace. 
There is nothing attractive or lovely about the giant's character. He is, as the story, and I have reiterated, wholly selfish, and yet love pursues him. It is such a mirror of the way in which God offers us salvation that I'm hushed as I read it. It is interesting that Oscar Wilde chose to set his story in a garden, with echoes of Eden running throughout. Whether intentional or not, by choosing to place it in a garden, it recounts the tragic fall of man. But what is so wonderful and redemptive about this story is that here a garden brings about a wretched man's repentance and salvation. It undoes the brokenness of humanity. When this happens, it is joyous enough to end the story. But thankfully, it isn't the end. Because when we finally reach it, it is better than could be imagined. I want to read a small section from the end. It doesn't spoil it completely, so please do read it for yourself. But if you prefer for it not to be spoiled, skip ahead for the next minute or so. It is when the small boy reappears in the garden after many years' absence. The giant has asked after the boy from the other children for years. He loves him the best. It is winter again, and he has just spotted him out in the garden. Downstairs ran the giant in great joy, and out into the garden. He hastened across the grass and came near the child. And when he came quite close, his face grew red with anger, and he said, Who hath dared to wound thee? For in the palms of the child's hands were the prints of two nails, and the prints of two nails were on the little feet. Who hath dared to wound thee? cried the giant. Tell me that I may take my sword and slay him. Nay, answered the child, but these are the wounds of love. Who art thou? said the giant, and a strange awe fell on him, and he knelt before the little child. Here is one of the hidden treasures of this story. The small boy who the giant loved so dearly is the Christ child. It is he who came to the giant's garden years before, unbidden and unwanted, but with the ready invitation of love and grace to even the most selfish and hostile of creatures. What hope this brings to us all. There's more to the ending. It is rich and layered, but I cannot spoil it for you. You must discover it on your own. When I was a child, I don't remember a particular season in which we read The Selfish Giant. It was a perennial favorite of our family. But now, as an adult, I can't help associating it with the season of spring. It carries with it all the hope and triumph of spring within its few pages. When I first sat down to reread The Selfish Giant for the podcast, I was tempted to read the story quickly without allowing proper time for the words and nuances of it to reach my heart. I was, after all, I thought smugly, familiar with the story since childhood. But I made myself read it slowly, and multiple times. Ignoring my prejudice of a simple story, I embraced it and allowed time to ponder the story after I had finished, mulling over words and meaning in the late afternoon as my daughter slept. I was rewarded richly for this. My hope is that you will be as well. Read this if you like your stories infused with subtle humor and wit. Read it if you like stories which appear simple, but which hold a wealth of richness. Read it to children as a means of introducing the gospel to them. Read it to be reminded of the promise of hope that can be found in Christ. Read this story in times of darkness, uncertainty, and doubt. And may it offer you hope in the unchanging truth 
of God's redemptive love. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. If you want to connect in the meantime, I'm on Instagram at wellreadbeth. Until next time. Thank you.